Welcome to the Expat Podcast, the place to learn all the secrets that'll make your life abroad more rewarding. And now your host, Bill Angelos. All right, welcome to another episode of the Expat Podcast. With me, I have Jason McEwen, a web developer from Minnesota who's been living in Australia for the past 15 years and currently calls Melbourne home. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bill. Really good job there uh, with your uh, pronunciation of, of Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. Could you uh, could you tell us where Melbourne is? Because uh, most uh, people probably don't know. Yeah, sure. Uh, Melbourne is on the, uh, I guess you'd say the eastern side of Australia, uh, on the southern coast, and just across the water from us is our uh, our little state of Tasmania. Which gets its uh, fame from the, uh, I guess, the Tasmanian Devils. Okay, but uh, doesn't the rest of the world know that it's under a different name than Melbourne? No. No, I think um, you might have a little bit of a different pronunciation. Think, uh, well, that's what I was talking about. Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, Melbourne. Melbourne. It's, uh, I think it's in Florida, isn't it? I don't, I don't even Canaveral. know. Cape Canaveral. Okay. I have down that you're an American, uh, and born and raised in the Midwest. Yes, I am. I'm hearing I'm hearing a, quite a bit of an Australian accent. What's going on there? Yeah, well, I've been in Australia now for what 15 years. Um, so you know, over that time, I kind of uh, have picked up the uh, local language quite well. <laughs> we do speak English here, but it's uh, it's definitely its own own flavor, which um, I'm, I'm sure you've seen. On, on certain TV shows, uh, when they're uh, showing Australian, you know, speaking, sometimes they'll have to put up subtitles. Is uh, Australians can be hard to understand from time to time. Yeah, I've seen some videos. Uh, it seems like just about everything has an abbreviation. It's uh, it's quite difficult for people not from there to understand. Did you have any problems uh, picking up the picking up the local language when you moved? You know, I, I didn't. Um, growing up as a kid, I mean, I call Minnesota home, but, uh, you know, I, I lived in all over the U.S., Texas, uh, Virginia, uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Arizona. So I guess, you know, growing up, I was always living in different places and I learned to adapt to different environments. And I mean, really, if you look at the U.S., uh, when you, uh, go from the east coast to the west coast things are called different things that's and, true yep you know in, in minnesota it was a, a shopping cart um in texas it was a buggy you know and, and down here in australia we call them trolleys <laughs> so, <laughs> interesting uh, you know it's changed from place but uh i i, I guess I, I learned from a young age to just kind of adapt and to, to be able to pick up the local lingo you pretty much have to do that if you're going to be uh, an expat and and leave your home country because nothing is always going to be the same as it was when you left. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I've known a few people. Um, like Australia is a melting pot, very similar to the U.S. Um, and I, I knew these two brothers actually from uh, from uh, your neck of the woods. Um, they're from Serbia. And one of them had an accent very similar to mine, where it wasn't quite Australian, but it definitely wasn't Serbian. 
I'm not saying I'm, I'm like Serbian, I'm just, you know, making that uh, distinction there where uh, it sounds more Australian than, than anything else, mm-hmm. where his brother, and they lived in Australia for exactly the same amount of time, his brother uh, sounded Serbian. Okay. Interesting. And his two brothers lived together. They, you know, went to school together, but one of them picked up the local accent and one of them did not. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, can you explain uh, the process of, of how you uh, moved to Australia? Why that happened? Yeah, sure. Um, the process for me was, uh, you know, I bought a plane ticket and then I bought a bunch of boxes and I threw some all my clothes into the boxes and took them to the post office and mailed them to Australia. Uh, that was pretty much it for me. Got on the plane and, um, yeah, been here ever since. Oh, okay, but let's um, let's back up a little further. And and why did you go to Australia is what, what I'm trying to get at here. Yeah, so I met my wife online back in 2003, and we hit it off really, really well. Um and I'd spent some time in the 90s in England and really enjoyed the, the parliamentary system and just the way of life. And it always appealed to me. So when I met my wife and, you know, we, we kicked it off. And, um, after a lot of thought, you know, I decided, hey, Australia's not a bad place. I'll move down there and, and see what happens. So that was it. We, we spent a year planning. Um, and working out, you know, what's the cheapest way to to move to a different country. And, yeah, we actually found out that the post office was the cheapest way for, for my needs. Okay, so did you did you plan on staying there 15 years when you originally moved, or was this kind of like a let's try it and maybe we'll move back thing, or, or what happened? I think um, <clears throat> initially I wasn't too sure. I mean, I was in my mid-20s. You know, so <laughs> uh, looking back, would I have done anything different? No, I think it was a great decision. Um, I really, really like the lifestyle here and the, and the, the people and the culture and um, definitely a good decision. Um, would I? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Uh, I've, I've been told that it's uh, pretty difficult to, to immigrate to Australia. They've got a lot of restrictions. Uh, does being married make it any easier or do you think it would have been incredibly like more difficult had you not been married? There's not a lot of people that live in Australia. There's about 25 million people here, um, which means that it's very common to have skills shortages. And when there is a skills shortage, it's much more apparent. So what the government does is they will uh, bring in skilled migrants and they, it changes every, every year or even sometimes more frequently. Uh, and they'll adjust the program to basically get skilled migrants into the country and get them living in the areas where they need those skills. So they're very proactive on how they, they do it, which is really cool. If you fall into one of those skill sets, it's really not hard to get to Australia. Uh, it might not be a permanent residency. It could be a temporary residency. It could be a four-year working visa. Um, but once you're here, you can start to, you know, work on your residency. Um, it is a lengthy process. It's not for, for everyone. It can be expensive. Um, 
my route, you know, meeting my wife and, and we actually got married uh, very, very early after my arrival here. So we started the immigration process almost immediately in the mid 2000s. I think it took it was about a four year process in total and it cost about $2,000, maybe $3,000. Wow. Uh, that's gone up significantly since then. So anyone planning on moving there is going to have to plan on spending two to $3,000 or more to uh, have a residence in Australia is what you're saying. Uh, that's just for the, the immigration paperwork. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's kind of a lot of money. Yeah, it is, you know, but that's how you can kind of, uh, I guess, you know, maintain a, a quality, I don't know, <laughs> a certain standard for immigration. Yeah, I, I guess that's true. Uh, what was the biggest shock to you when you first moved there? Biggest shock? Uh, I'd have to say, you know, the cars going on the left side of the road. Oh, yeah, that would definitely be a shocker for me. I know when I was in Thailand my first time, it was uh, it was dangerous. Yeah, no, it's definitely interesting. And we also have these uh, wonderful things called roundabouts. Those are a lot more common in the in the States now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember growing up as a kid in the and on the East Coast, we had circles and circles were, you know, these big round roundabouts, I guess, mm-hmm. kind of thing, um, that had, you know, five, six, seven streets that would come off of them and, and they were all from the uh, the horse and carriage days where it was much easier to get a horse onto one of these things with carriage and then to get them off and then they, they got rid of them all they were just demolishing them all but yeah i've heard uh, i've heard they've been bringing them back because they, they do work really well well when when people know how to use them they can work really well the problem is a lot of people don't seem to know how to use them and because of that there's a lot more accidents from it but all in all it sounds like if they're used correctly, they're safer. Yeah, definitely. Oh, it brings back memories of uh, uh, was the Red and Green show <laughs> uh, when they were talking about uh, who has the right of way at one of these intersections. Oh. Their answer was, it was always the, the guy in the bigger truck. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Definitely, uh, definitely holds true here as well. <laughs> Isn't everything in Australia bigger or at least designed to kill you better? No, not necessarily. I mean, we, we do have big, uh, big statues and big, you know, if you go up the uh, eastern coast, every city kind of has their biggest something. So it might be the biggest banana, you know, big statue of a banana or the biggest pineapple. And they're all very proud of what they've got the biggest of in their little town. <laughs> it's a lot like the Midwest, uh, actually. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's every, what? Four hours, you have to have another tourist death trap to something like that. Yeah, over and look at ball of yarn or something. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Now I know Australia is known uh, known for having a lot of uh, dangerous animals, insects. Uh, was there any concern of that when when you were moving over there? And how's that been for you while you since you've been there? Yeah, so we do have our fair share of you know dangerous critters. I mean, we've got what. Five of the top ten deadliest land snakes in the world. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, most of the dangerous spiders are here. You know, we've got drop bears, which are here. What exactly is a drop bear? They're basically like cousins of the koalas, right? They uh, they drop out of trees and, yeah, like scratch your neck up. That doesn't sound exactly deadly. Uh, you should see the claws on these things. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, they're, they're more of a... Uh, <laughs> Drop bears are more of a, a story we tell tourists to scare them. 
They don't exist, unfortunately. Um, yeah, so snakes are, are really a danger here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I mean, uh, growing up in the Midwest, we had rattlesnakes. And rattlesnakes were great because they'd warn you, right? You'd hear a rattle and you know, oh, crap, better stay away from that. We don't have that you know, luxury down here. Uh, where I live in, in the state of Victoria, uh, we have uh, the eastern brown snake which is, it's number two or three most deadly snake in the world. Um, the brown snake's very, very common, right? And if you go out of the city, you might see it. But they're not aggressive, and they'll actually, you know, not only will they try to get away from you, uh, if they do feel threatened, oftentimes the first strike will be a dry strike, so it won't actually um, release any venom. So basically, they, they don't they won't want you to leave them alone, right? So if you leave them alone, usually you're okay. Don't go chasing them. Don't go poking sticks at them. Don't try to you know, hit them with a shovel. Just leave them alone, right? Sounds good. Um, so what they teach kids growing up is, is when you're walking through the bush, we call it the bush, you might call it a forest or whatever, but when you're walking through the bush, you stomp your feet really loud everywhere you go. So you want to create that, you know, vibration on the ground that lets the snake, uh, the snakes know, hey, I'm here. Watch out. <laughs> Interesting. So you know, you just don't want to surprise a snake. Um, if you go up north to the tropics, you know, uh, in the state of Queensland, um, they have this lovely snake up there called the taipan, and taipans are the opposite. They are an aggressive snake, uh, and again, they're in the top, you know five deadly snakes in the world, but they will attack you. They will chase you. They will, <laughs> huh. they will strike you multiple times within a second. That sounds fun. Yeah. So you really want to stay away from those snakes and uh, they've got a different rule set for how to, you know, how to handle those if you see them. But basically the same rules apply where, you know, you, you stomp your feet and you let the snake know you're there because uh, again, they get aggressive mainly when they feel threatened and if they get surprised. It seems like most animals, though. Yeah, I think it is. So, you know, um, we do, we definitely have our, our dangerous animals here. But, you know, I've lived here for 15 years, and I've still never seen one of these deadly snakes in the wild. Okay. Same in the zoos. Well, maybe the, maybe the entire island isn't designed to kill you like we've been led to believe. <laughs> maybe it is, maybe it's not. I mean, uh, you know, we had a, we had a prime minister we don't have a president here. We have a prime minister that runs the country. Uh, and what, about 50 years ago, he decided to go for a morning swim in the ocean, not far from where I live now. And uh, he never came back. Oh, whoopsie. <laughs> yeah, so we're not too sure what, what happened to him. Huh. Maybe the sharks got him. We do have uh, great whites in the in the ocean here. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've I've seen all the videos. I've seen uh, you guys have some some beautiful reefs there. Uh, just amazing uh, coastlines. It's just beautiful. The 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 reef is on the eastern coast, but it's more in the tropical area. So it's uh, much further north from where I live. Uh, being on the south side, we're actually close to Antarctica. Uh, and we have very cold waters here, so we get the great white sharks, and we also get great surfing. So um, just about an hour from where I live now, we've got um, Bell's Beach, which was the uh, beach at the very end of Point Break 
if you remember that movie with Keanu Reeves. Yeah, I never saw it. Okay. Yeah, no, at the end of that movie, they, uh, they went to find the best wave in the world. And it happened to be right here in Victoria. So you know, definitely a strong surfing culture here as well. Okay. Uh, I'd like to talk about uh, the differences between uh, the U.S. and Australia as far as uh, things go like uh, working conditions or uh, later on health care. What, what differences you noticed yeah, sure. when uh, when you moved there, how it might have affected your life or, or your quality of life? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, as far as, um, you know, working conditions in the States, you, you know how that is. You've, you've worked enough years in the States to know that it's uh, 40 hours a week, usually eight hours a day. And uh, it's, for the most part, most jobs are a mediocre pay, um, mediocre benefits and uh how how was your experience in in Australia when you moved there? Oh wow, um, yeah, it's 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 much better here. <laughs> Again, I think it's probably one of the reasons why it's uh, it'd be hard for me to go back. Um, yeah, so I guess let's start off with um, a, a typical work week. Um, so full time in Australia is a thirty eight hour work week, not forty. Um, so my normal day. I guess at work is um, a seven and a half hour day uh, and I take a half hour lunch and the way it actually works out is I end up doing 40 hours in a week. So it's exactly the same. I mean, it just breaks down easier. You've got five days in a week, you work eight hours, right? But because we look at uh, a full-time work week as a 38 hour work week, what we do is we take what's called an RDO, which is a roster day off. So our scheduled day off. So every month um, I get to take an extra day off during the week sometime, which is great because then I can do, you know, appointments or, you know, doctors or whatever I need to do. I can just take a day off and it doesn't have to be like, you know, a set day off or something. I just, you know, email my boss and say, this is the day I want and he approves it. So that's, that's a really cool thing. Yeah. That'd be great. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, and one day, you know, is, is might only be one day, but during the week, you can just get so much more done. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and usually what we do is we'll tack it on to like, you know, a public holiday or, uh, uh, um, you know, birthday or something and, and make something of it or at least on to the end of a weekend and have a long weekend. Yeah, I wish I could do that here. <laughs> Would be nice. Yeah. So it's carrying on from that. Uh, we also get, as a minimum, the government stipulates that all employers must give all full-time employees four weeks of, of annual leave per year, four weeks of vacation per year. Minimum four weeks, you said? Minimum four weeks, that's correct. So, so I'm, I'm a new immigrant to, uh, to Australia, and I start my job working at McDonald's, and I, they're going to give me a, a, a full month off. If you get a full-time job, then, yeah, you start accruing annual uh, vacation time or annual leave on the day wow. that you start, and, yeah. That's that's amazing because, you know, fast food workers in the, in the U.S., they might get a week after a year. So for, yeah, for them well, to get four four weeks so. minimum is is amazing. The difference, I guess, is I don't know that, that your normal – you know, McDonald's new starter would actually start as a full-timer or even a part-timer. We actually have a, a third category 
in Australia, which is called a casual, casual employment. This is uh, a job, I guess, um, type where you may not accrue annual leave for vacation time. You won't accrue sick leave, personal leave. However, because you're not accruing those things, you automatically get what we call uh, a casual wage loading or casual loading. So what that means is if let's just throw out a number, if you're on $20 an hour, you would get a 20% loading on top of that, right? So 20% addition to your pay is what you're saying. Yeah. So instead of making $20, you'd make $24 an hour. Nice. And that extra $4 an hour would be the, uh, in lieu or in, in, instead of, you know, making the, 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 the sick days and the annual leave. Now you said, you said $20 an hour. What would, uh, just a hypothetical, what would a, an average, uh, fast food worker make starting off in Australia right now? It would be around that. That's not, uh, that's not a, uh, uh, Great overstatement. <laughs> so twenty dollars an hour is, is a standard uh, fast food wage. Yeah, for an adult. Wow, yeah, definitely. That's amazing. Yep. Again, that's have, the uh, junior rates as well. Where you know, if you're you know fifteen, you probably only make ten or eleven dollars an hour. Okay. But that's pretty much the lowest now. I, I do want to say that that doesn't necessarily translate to U.S. dollars. Well, no, there's always a conversion. Yeah, there's always an exchange rate. That so, and we'll we'll I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll throw that in the in the show notes at the end so that people can see you know what uh, the exchange rate is, what the dollar is worth to the Australian dollar. Yeah, definitely. But then there's also the cost of living differences, which I think we could probably talk about as a whole you know section. Sure. Uh, where. You know, gas in the U.S. can range from, you know, a dollar to four dollars a gallon, pretty much has been the range for the last, you know, 18 months or so, I think. I don't think it's been anywhere near a dollar. I mean, the lowest I've heard is, is, you know, the low twos. Okay. Well, in Australia, we pay um, right now it's at a dollar 40 per liter. And there's what, like three liters in a gallon? So, yeah, we're paying about five, over $5 a gallon. That's a bit. But again, you're also making a little bit more per hour, too. Yep, that's true. So um, it offsets it. It does. Uh, and I guess the other thing that's really, really expensive here is um, real estate. Uh, in terms of you know renting a place or even buying a place. Is that because so, of the amount of livable space in Australia, or, or why is that? I think there's a lot of reasons. Uh, that could be an entire show by itself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but it, it, our cities are very expensive to live in. Um, and when you live in the city, you, you pay for it in rent. So I have no idea what rent costs for you know a standard three-bed two bath in, in America right now. But I know that if you're living in a decent place here, you're looking at, you know, uh, five, six, $700 a week. Oh, wow. So it's much, much more expensive in your rent and your mortgage, you know, and to put it in perspective, I'm 
you know, 25 miles from the city, maybe 30. Um, and that's what the cost is out here in the suburbs, in the sticks, you know? Wow. So still that far away and, and still you pay that much in rent. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I had a buddy that was uh, getting a house built and um, he had to live. Well, we decided to rent a place in the city um, closer to work. And it was just a little, you know, townhouse with, uh, with two bedrooms and he was paying 900 bucks a week or something. Wow. So it's crazy. Yeah. So where the fast food person can make, you know, $20 an hour, you pay for it elsewhere. It's not a like for like thing. So it's not just like immediately we make more money per hour. We've got, you know, way more money in the bank. Well, what I was trying to do is I was just trying to give a comparison because, you know, I'm not going to ask what you make per hour. But, you know, a lot of people in the U.S. know that that a fast food worker is going to make $7.50 to Eleven or twelve dollars an hour, depending on you know how many hours a week they work and how long they've been there. So I just wanted a, a apples to apples comparison that people could could make. The concept of uh, of minimum wage is definitely much closer to a living wage, I guess, than from what I see in the media in the U.S. at the moment. Okay, well that's uh, that's a good thing, uh, especially if you're you know if I mean, you if you're not you really imagine? skilled. Yeah. Well, can you imagine, uh, I guess in the U S if you're an unskilled worker and, and you, you know, are, are given the option of working two jobs or just working one job, but maybe foregoing sick leave foregoing you know, vacation time and taking an extra 20% in the pay, you know, would that be a good option? Definitely be one to consider. Definitely. Yeah. So that, that by itself is pretty cool. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, healthcare now, and uh, any differences that you've been able to observe uh, as far as the differences in cost or availability or level of care. Yeah, so I think you know when we talk about healthcare, it can get political really, really easily. So I don't want to do that. Um, what I want to do, I guess, is talk about it as a consumer. Uh, That's fine, and I can kind of. Um, compare it a bit to, to when I was growing up. So um, I know that when I was, you know, still young and, and in school in the U.S., I had to have my appendix out, right? And I remember, you know, enough of that to, to remember that it was pretty difficult for my parents to deal with the insurance company. And I was a student at the time, so I know I was still able to, you know, claim insurance under my parents. Um, but there was still a lot of, of, uh, money that we had to pay on top of the insurance is like a co-payment and you know, the, the level of care was, was fine. I think I spent one night in, in, in the, the hospital, but I remember the, the, the financial side of it was really, really challenging. And I, I, I didn't know why it had to be like, you've got insurance, you pay for insurance. Um, there's a process. You know, you've got doctor's reports. It's an appendix. So, you know, when an appendectomy has to be done, there's only so many signs. I remember the doctor saying at the time, you're male and you've got this kind of pain and you've got these test results. So it can only be one thing, right? And it's a pretty standard procedure. It happens, you know, in hospitals every day, probably every hospital every day. Um, but there were still so many loopholes we had to, you know, 
not loopholes, but uh, so many challenges to, to get the insurance to cover it. And just, you know, That's pretty standard. Never quite understood why. Yeah. But living here, you don't have that problem. So when I arrived uh, and I first got my uh, temporary residency, I was given a, a, uh, a Medicare card. And with that Medicare card, I could go to the doctor as much as I wanted to. And the doctor would either be free or it would be a very, very low uh, co-payment. And the only time there would be a co-payment is if I went to a, you know, a specialized doctor or really wanted to go to one particular doctor and they were just really good. And so they charged a lot more than what the government would cover. Right. Mm -hmm. But most doctors are free. And is this all paid for by your, by your taxes or how is this paid for? Yeah. Yeah, So it's all paid for by the government, by the taxes. Okay. Um, Every year you go for a blood test, so the doctors will do your blood work, or even more often, it really is a case-by-case basis. It's not like you can only have your blood work done once a year. No, if the doctor wants it done every three months, it's done every three months. It's paid for. Your eyes get checked every year, so you get a free eye test every year. Um, The only thing that's really not covered is uh, dental. Hmm. And you have private what they call healthcare, private healthcare insurance here. Um, so I spend, uh, it's about $140 a month, I think, which, you know, because of the higher wages is nothing. It's a very, very small portion of my income, but yeah, about $140 a month for private healthcare. And, and what does that cover um, that the Medicare doesn't cover? Yeah. So that gives me access to dental. Um, it gives me access to um, glasses and contacts. So I think, uh, I get $300 a year for glasses and contacts or something. And, uh, it also gives me access to things like massages, physiotherapy, uh, acupuncture, you know, nutritionists, different things like that, that are not covered by the government's healthcare. Um, Interesting. And the the $140 is for, for your whole family? That's for the whole family of wow. four. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, it really is. Um, now, let's say, you know, something terrible happens. Um, okay, so a couple of years ago, or four or five years ago, my son had a lot of pain in his stomach. And we weren't sure what was causing it. So, you know, we did what any good parents would do. And we called an ambulance we called you know the paramedics to come in and check him out now in victoria each state handles it slightly differently in australia but in victoria we belong to an ambulance group so i think we pay another hundred dollars a year to have ambulance cover so we can call an ambulance whenever we need one if you don't pay that and you have to call an ambulance then they charge you for it so you're better off just to pay for the you know membership and move on but anyway uh so called the ambulance and they came out and they, they checked out my son and they said, yeah, I'm not sure what it is. Let's get him to the hospital. So took him to the hospital and went to the children's hospital and he spent the night in the hospital. Uh, turned out it was, you know, nothing major. It was just some gas or something, but he got the best care at the children's hospital and that cost me zero dollars. I literally just gave them my Medicare card number uh, and there was no bill. 
Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I know. I know around the world the uh, healthcare is quite a bit different than the U.S., and that's one of the reasons why I like to talk to to my guests about it, just to so we can compare the differences and just see what actually is different. I know a couple years ago I was in Thailand and I had a, a, a outbreak of psoriasis, and I had to I had to get uh, a shot, and I had, and, and and all I really wanted was the shot because I knew that would clear up my skin in about a day and a half. But the uh, doctor insisted I take a bunch of creams, which I didn't want. And the whole thing, including the uh, meeting with the doctor for about a half an hour consultation, I think was was like forty dollars for the whole thing, and that was out of pocket, just cash as a as a foreigner, as a tourist. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, then same uh, same city, uh, Patty of Thailand, um, uh, had to meet with another doctor about um, scuba diving. And uh, there was some concerns because uh, my wife at the time um, she couldn't hear, and they wanted uh, to make sure that she was it would be safe for her to dive. So we spoke with with two doctors for about twenty minutes, and the entire consultation with two doctors cost us about two American dollars. Wow! Yeah, you know, can you imagine yeah, what it would cost cool. for cash, out of pocket cash in in America to talk to two doctors? I have no idea what it would be. I don't even want to think about it. My parents were, <laughs> my parents were out in Australia uh, a few years ago, and my dad had to go to the doctors for something. I don't remember what it was, but um, it's just a check or something. And yeah, I think uh, for a doctor's consultation as a tourist, he ended up having to spend seventy dollars or something. But that you know works out to maybe forty-five, fifty dollars U.S., which. Really isn't that bad? No, it's it's great. Like, Copays are probably that much. <laughs> wow, that's that's the the difference is just uh, night and day between between America and, and some of these other countries. And again, I'm not trying to be political. I'm just trying to be factual and explain to to people what what is actually out there. Yeah, you know. Um, well, I, th- I think that's why medical of, tourism is a thing. It is definitely. You know, my family here have had a lot of bad breaks, I guess you could say, and, and needed to rely on the hospital system. So I can definitely say without a doubt that it is just a, an amazing system here and it works really, really well. And just, you know, night and day compared to the U S uh, in terms of, you know, medical access to medical care. Um, I, I will say that, you know, the U S probably has a better medical system, but, but, the whole way that it's monetized is, I don't think anybody actually understands it. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of people who even work for the insurance companies that don't, don't even understand it. And I know the people that work at the clinics definitely don't. Mm. So, man, what can you do? That's right. So it brings me to my next question. Have you ever thought about moving back? I have. Yeah, I think about it quite often. It usually ends with, uh, I'm very, very happy with where I am. and. <laughs> I uh, have no plans to go back. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't blame you. Is, uh, definitely, yeah, it's where I call home now. Um, I, honestly, I don't know what I would do with uh, one or two weeks of vacation a year. Um, I don't know what I would do without my RDOs. don't know what I would do without my meat pies. <laughs> what about the, I'm sure we can get you some Vegemite. Yeah, Vegemite is definitely an acquired taste. Uh, yeah, uh, 
I don't mind it. You don't? Not at all. Okay, because I've, I've never actually had any, but I've, I've seen the reaction to people uh, on, on YouTube videos who've had some, and it's just, uh, it doesn't look good at all. Yeah, well, uh, well there was an author uh, from the UK, uh, Terry Pratchett, he used to write some pretty funny books. And in one of his books, he describes uh, a very similar process to how Vegemite is made. And it, uh, from memory, how did he do it? It was uh, uh, one of the characters had only a few ingredients to make a stew. And it was, you know, a few vegetables, some onions, and some beer. And so he just put it all in the, in the, the pot and let it simmer for a bit but then he fell asleep and when he woke up it was this black tar that was kind of salty and then that's basically vegemite it's got this really salty yeasty taste <laughs> that sounds absolutely awful yeah it's not bad have it with uh with like cheese or with butter or something it's really good uh, okay uh so you're not planning on moving back you have no plans to move back do you think that if you did yeah. if you did move back that you'd have because you've been over there so long that you'd have difficulties uh, adjusting back to life in America? Well, no. I, I think that I'd probably would I would definitely adjust quite well uh, back into America. So one of the other things about Australia, which is great, I mean we haven't even talked about it, but maybe we should, uh, is the education system here. So you know when I was. Uh, when I moved to Australia, I was, I was unskilled. Okay, I didn't have any real skills. I had a passion for for computers, but I was unskilled. But uh, one of the cool things about Australia is they give you, or any of the residents, uh, or sorry, any of the citizens, access to free loans for education. So I was able to get my degree with a free loan from the government. When you say free loan, what exactly does that mean? We have a system called HELP or HEX, whatever they call it. And uh, you can apply to the government and say, hey, I'd like to you know, start a degree or start a course or start a you know, diploma or whatever. So you can take like a 12-month course for a diploma. You can take a certificate course, which might only be for three months. Or you can do a full-blown you know, bachelor's degree or a master's degree. And the government is more than happy to help people go through higher education. Uh, so I was able to, you know, go to school online in the evenings and work through my bachelor's degree in IT over the course of, yeah, three or four years. And it's all done through a, a very reputable school that has, you know, it's a, the local school here in Melbourne. Or one of them is about three. Yeah, I, I basically the the agreement with the government is is based on my wage. The government will withhold a certain amount from my pay. So every month, you know, the the government takes out of my pay. Uh, it might be three or four hundred bucks or something, which is tax free and interest free loan for education. So I was able to upskill myself and to you know get the, the the knowledge that I needed where a transition back to America would be really, really easy. Okay, so it sounds like instead of you going through like a loan provider or a bank, you just get the loan straight from the government directly. Is that what you're saying? 
Exactly. Okay. And it's even simpler than that because all the paperwork is handled by the school. Okay. And then after you graduate, then you start paying back a certain percentage based on your income. Once your income reaches a certain level, then you start making repayments. Yes. And so, how long is that over? Is that indefinitely or is that for a limited uh, period of time? Well, that's until the loan is paid back. Okay. So let's just talk numbers. I mean, I don't want to, you know, it's not apples for apples because of the cost of living difference. Uh, but a four year bachelor's degree cost me about $35,000 in total. It's reasonable. So in U.S. dollars, that'd be what, 27000 Again, I don't know the, con the conversion rate. Yeah, it's about that. Um, so it's probably, you know, for a like-for-like -like university in the States, between 10 and 20% of what a degree would cost me there. Hmm. So not bad, you know? Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. So access to education is definitely... Uh, Fantastic. And I think the, the, the reason that the government likes to do that is because they do work so hard, as we as we mentioned before, um, to bring in skilled workers. It's probably cheaper to just upskill your own people. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And the more skilled workers you have, the more people that are paying taxes, the more money that they have coming in. So it just works right. out. Well, sounds, sounds uh, pretty good there with all the systems that you have in place. Yeah. Definitely a, a great place to live. And, you know, since we speak English here, or uh, <laughs> uh, maybe a slightly version of English, being able to uh, adapt to the culture is, is very easy. You know, I work in a, a, a company where uh, it's, it's an international company. We, you know, operate on seven continents. In my office, you know, there are people from all over the world. Like literally, there's, you know, I'm not the only, you know, American there. There's many of us, <laughs> uh, but there's many people from all over the world. The one thing that we all agree on is that none of us want to move anywhere else. We love Melbourne. We love Australia. Wow. That sounds like quite the sales pitch for Australia. As we get ready to wrap up the show, uh, is there anything that you'd want to say to somebody who isn't yet, is an expat in Australia or who's uh, considering becoming one? The only real thing I would say is, you know, you don't want to mess up your, your shot. So don't try to take any uh, shortcuts. Um, and depending on your situation, it may be worth looking at uh, finding an, an immigration lawyer uh, um, to assist with paperwork because the paperwork can be very, very overwhelming. Uh, and also immigration lawyers are the experts for, um, you know, the, the, the skilled migration if that's the option you want it to go with, but, um, definitely, you know, make sure you get, uh, good advice and there's a lot of different pathways of entry. Um, what you think is the best way might not be the best way. Okay. Uh, are there any, uh, skills that you're aware of, which are, which are in, in uh, need of right now that, that they'll let people in for, on a skilled uh, visa? It changes constantly. This is one of those things that it can change every three or four months. Um, one of the big demands is always for uh, anybody in the medical field, you know, from doctors to nurses to, you know, physiotherapists. Uh, those are always in demand in Australia. Okay. Is there anything you'd like to add uh, at the end here? 
The only thing is, is if uh, you haven't tried Vegemite yet, make sure you do so. <laughs> Ew. All right. Jason, uh, do you do you want uh, people to follow you on the internet somewhere? Do you want to uh, tell them how, how they can find you? You know, I, uh, I've kind of moved away from social media, so I don't really have any uh, uh, accounts or anything that I that I frequent. So fair enough. We'll just leave it at okay. that. Then we'll just yeah. you, you're just going to be a ghost. Well, I'm going to enjoy life. You can definitely do that without social media. That's for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Jason, for being on the show. Thanks for listening to the Expat Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to leave a review on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to visit us at the-expat.com.